Let's begin with scripture. First one is from Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And from the gospel, the gospel according to St. Mark chapter 9, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him, up to Jesus, and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So ask your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, was often, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything and have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are two people beyond my own extended family that have embedded themselves into my daily prayer. The first one uh, is a young woman of uh, middle years, and I would never mention that to her. She uh, is one of those people who says precisely uncensored whatever she thinks. She must have been hell on wheels when she was 18. I was a, a friend of her father's and uh, was his pastor uh, while he was in the process of dying. Five years ago this past week, her heart stopped. It just so happened that she was standing in front of a police detective who had come to interview her about an incident 
that uh, she had witnessed. And when she fell to the floor, he called 911 and uh, immediately started CPR until the, uh, until the ambulance got there. I'm told that only about 5% recovered from what she just went through. She, she is a, a wonderful young woman and her son just graduated from high school and she was there to see it. Well, I told you about Betsy to tell you about another young woman who has embedded herself into my prayers. Throughout her childhood, she had seizures. I mean, really bad seizures to the extent that she couldn't be left alone. One of her parents always had to accompany her to school. She, uh, she slept in her parents' bedroom from the time that she was born. And the doctor said, if we remove part of her brain, she will no longer have the seizures. And the brain will rewire itself. Can you imagine making that kind of decision for your child? I sat with the mother and father throughout the operation. I called on her every single day while she was in the hospital. While she was there, uh, she developed meningitis from all of the crud uh, circulating in her, in her spinal fluid and recovered from that. Before she was operated on, she did therapeutic riding and she really truly loved the horse that she is, was paired with. And I told her, when you get out of the hospital, the very first time that you are back on that horse, I will be there. And I was. And you should have seen the smile on that child's face. And now, her brain has rewired itself, and she is living the life of a normal teenager. And I don't think that she's had a seizure since. Just before the text that we read from the Gospel according to St. Mark, Jesus and uh, I guess you would have to say the central core of the disciples, Peter and James and John, were at the transfiguration. Not only was Jesus there, but uh, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. And, and Peter recognized what a high point, what a highlight this truly was. And he said, you know, why don't we build three booths? One for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Why don't we just stay right here? But you can't live in a high. You can't live even in a spiritual high. You have to go back down to the plain. And when they got back down to the plain, they found the rest of the, uh, of the disciples arguing. Arguing with a group of, of scribes, those who were learned in the law. 
And what had tripped us off was a man had brought his son to them, a son who was, who was uh, convulsed by a demon, who was thrown down in the ground, who couldn't talk, who was rigid, who, who uh, foamed at the mouth, ground his teeth, and the disciples, either because they were so busy defending their own status or simply because they were incapable, couldn't do a thing for him. Not a thing. Not a thing for the man and certainly not a thing for his child. In the New Testament, uh, they sort of lump uh, mental illness and uh, neurological problems and uh, demon possession all into the same category. And the man said, if you can, would you do something to help us? And Jesus sort of throws it right back to him. If you can, anything can be done for the person who believes, anything. And the man said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Can you imagine what it was like for the man to stand there and look at his son in convulsions on the ground? I can, I can understand a little bit of what he was experiencing. Our great-great-niece has been diagnosed with uh, neuroblastoma, an extremely very, very, very aggressive cancer. I think of her as being 15 months old. She was 15 months old when it was first diagnosed as stage four. She's either 16 or 17 months now. And it's being treated just as aggressively as her little body can stand. Right now, she is between chemotherapies. She's home. And her grandparents' house is a sanctuary for her. When she's at home, uh, her parents have to give her shots, get vitamins into her, clean her tubes. But when she is her grandparents' house for a couple of hours a day, she's free. She can play. She can boss the dogs around. She can, she can be a little girl. And she can eat anything that her little heart desires. Bad things do happen to people. Bad things do happen to children. I have watched a toddler and a teenager die. They were people to me. They were, they were friends. They were someone that I truly, truly knew. The toddler used to come out of church to where I was greeting people after the service, and he would look up at me, and he would say, good morning, and then he would giggle, and he'd go racing off. And two minutes later, he was right back doing the same thing all over again. 
the teenager, one day I smuggled her Yorkie into the uh, pediatric ICU. I don't think the nurses were really um, fooled by the wiggling lump underneath my coat. <laughs> the mother, the mother of the teenager was so angry at the death of her child that she struck out at everybody. One of the neighbors came over just to offer her sympathy and to ask, is there anything that I can do? And she cursed her and sent her home in tears. And I had to go and apologize to her. Bad things do happen in this life. And we say, we say to the parents of a child, well, you gotta have faith. And we don't listen to the man in this particular in this particular story in the gospel according to St. Mark. The man who says, I believe, I believe, but there's so much going on inside of me. So many emotions, so much struggle, so much fear, so much anger, even anger at God. God, I believe, but I'm having trouble hanging on to you. And we need to listen once again to the Father who says, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. It's not us hanging on to God. It's God hanging on to us. And let me tell you, he has got a whole lot stronger grip than we do. Many of you probably have seen the, the poem, uh, Footsteps in the Sand by uh, Mary Stevenson. And Jesus is talking to a man about the parallel footsteps as Jesus was walking beside him. And the man says, yes, but what about that single line of footsteps over there? And Jesus says, that's where I was carrying you. And this past week, a friend of mine sent me a cartoon and Jesus is saying to the man, yes, that single line of footsteps is where I was carrying you. That trough in the sand is where I was dragging you out of trouble. <laughs> and those rocks over there, that's where I hid you when I went to get a cup of coffee and, uh, and a donut. Jesus is with us all the time. He's with us day in and day out. He's with us in the good times as well as the, the hard times. He's with us all the time so that he can be with us when we are hammered and when we feel those crushing blows. God, God is with us. Our God is not a God of platitudes. 
is a God who gave his life for us on the cross. He's a God who holds out nail-scarred hands to wrap around us and hold us tight until we get back on our feet. And even then, he still holds on to us. Let me say that again. God is not a God of platitudes. He's a God who gave his life for us. He's a God who holds out nail-scarred hands to wrap us and hold us close to himself. Even after we've got back on our feet, he holds on to us. As Isaiah said, even more than, than an expectant or a nursing mother, if they should forget you, God says, I will never forget you. I have written you on the palms of my hands. God is with us. Amen.